0: From my notes. Please have your Bibles open at Psalm 23 and a finger in John uh, chapter 10 will also help. We'll get there uh, as we work our way through this very familiar Psalm. When I was 11 years of age, uh, we went on a school trip to North Wales. Now, this is from Belfast, Northern Ireland, so it was a foreign trip. And as part of the activities that we did in that particular week, uh, someone decided it would be good to do potholing. And uh, I vividly remember uh, crawling through this narrow gap which was about a foot high and I could touch the walls on either side and it was about 15 meters long and you had to squeeze out at the far end into a big chamber. And I was there with my safety helmet and my lamp and as I'm making my way along this tunnel, the lamp fell off. And it fell in such a way that when it hit the rock, it sealed completely. No light, not a whisper, utter darkness. Now you can imagine, some of us aren't good in confined spaces. I have never been in a pothole since. I think I've outgrown potholing for, in a number of directions, but, but it was truly terrifying. And if you've ever been in a cave system where the guide has said, look, switch your lights off, you you know what it's like. It is absolute, impenetrable darkness. And it it, it instigates fear. It causes fear, anxiety, all kinds of things. Uh, We don't like being in the dark because there's a sense that we cannot see our way, uh, that we no longer feel in control. And as a result, we become anxious we become uncertain, we become afraid. And that's why I think it's important for us to study Psalm 23 together this evening, because the same is true in life in general. We can come into circumstances or situations that cause us to fear. All of us at one time or another, if we haven't already, will be called to go through periods of deep darkness and difficulty, whether as individuals, whether as families, whether as a church family. And that's why we need to look together at Psalm 23, because it speaks of our hope as those who belong to Jesus, the one who is the good shepherd. And in Jesus, we have a hope that is sure and certain. You see, as you read the Psalm, you come to understand that David knew what it was like to be in the dark. He says so in verse 4. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. If you've got um, the notes in your ESV there, you'll see that an alternative for the Hebrew is uh, in the valley of deep shadows or deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Now, we usually take these words to refer to the valley of mourning or the valley of death. And it's true, isn't it, that for most people, the valley of death is the place they fear most. That explains why we're big on cosmetic surgery and fitness regimes and anti-ageing creams. But I would suggest that we need to understand David's words here as referring not simply to death and the grief and sorrow that it brings, but to all the dark and distressing experiences of life. And it's interesting that we've seen a children's version of the 23rd Psalm because, you know, the the, the thing that I was going to say next is that the images that we often see in children's Bibles of this particular Psalm are, are often completely misleading. You see, David did not live in an idyllic and peaceful world. He lived in a world of dark valleys. He lives, he tells us in uh, verse 5, in the presence of sinister enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now remember, when David wrote this psalm, he wasn't an inexperienced shepherd boy. He was a grown man, a king, a military ruler and leader who'd struggled through many difficulties to the confident faith that he now expresses. He'd been through the dangers, toils, and snares of life. And notice the foundation of his hope in this dark valley, in these disturbing and troubling times, not the support of his family and friends. If you know anything about David at all, you'll know that his family weren't the greatest bunch on earth. He had family troubles like none of us would wish to have. He had friends who deserted him and were disloyal to him. You and I might enjoy family and friends, a rich blessing from God, but that is not the foundation of David's hope, nor was it his reliance on his military acumen. He was a strong, brave warrior. He knew that he could exact vengeance if he chose to do so. That was not the foundation of his hope. No, David's hope was in knowing that God was with him, that God was his shepherd. So you see, this psalm tells us David's personal story of how the Lord, his shepherd, helped him in the darkest times of his life. Some of you might have heard of a man called John Wesley. That's my name, by the way, John Wesley. And I'm not named after John Wesley, the uh, Methodist, famous Methodist. I'm named after John Wesley, who was an evangelist, who led my father to faith in, the, in Christ on the borders uh, of what is now Northern Ireland. But let me get back to the real John Wesley. I'm di- digressing, shouldn't do that. I've already preached twice today, so we're, we're, we, we need to keep focused. When John Wesley lay dying, many of his friends gathered around his bed, and they, they were strong Christians. They knew the scriptures well, and they were there to encourage him uh, with the promises of God. However, at one point, Wesley raised himself up in the bed and with special energy, he said to all his Christian friends, yes, all these promises are true, but best of all, God is with us. God is with us. And that is the key to what David says here. He can look the worst of all possible situations in the face and say, even though I have to walk through this valley, this uh, deep darkness... I will not be afraid, because you, Lord, are with me. And he knew that if God was able to keep him through uh, this valley of death, then God's presence and power would keep him through every other valley in life. Now, what about you and I here this evening? How can we be comforted as we face the Uh, difficulties of life, the ups and downs of life? Well, it is by beholding Jesus as our good shepherd. How can we comfort those whose loss seems to be almost unbearable? By helping them to see that with God at their side, they will get through that valley of suffering. They will see through that hardship and difficulty. You see, the ultimate comfort in this fallen world is knowing God intimately through his son Jesus Christ in the way that David did. Now notice how God our shepherd keeps us in this life. Verse 4, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd uses his staff to to work with the sheep, to to direct them, to retrieve them if they're going off the path, to, to discipline them if you like. On the other hand, he uses the rod or the cudgel to defend them when they come under attack. And it's as the sheep see these these two instruments that they are reminded that the shepherd is always there to protect them. And David understood, as we must, that the eternal God of the universe was his personal shepherd. And that word personal is crucial because it reminds us that our Christian faith is not so much a religion doing certain things in order that we might please God. It is a relationship, being one with God through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. And that's why Jesus, in John's Gospel, calls himself the good shepherd. But what did it mean for David? What should it mean for us to have this God? as our shepherd well there are four things that are going to point out to you first of all this provision if the Lord is my shepherd he will supply all my needs see what David says I shall not want or I shall not be in want now that doesn't mean that there will not be things that he wants or desires in life But the idea is that he will never be left in in want or need. He will never lack anything that he truly needs to live in obedience to God. Now, how could David be so sure that, that God would do this? Well, God had promised in the scriptures that he would do so. You know that Israel's kings had to learn the Torah. They had to write out the law of God. And therefore, David knew the Scriptures well. And when he uses this phrase, I shall not be in want, he's borrowing that phrase from another part of the Old Testament. The same expression is used in Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 7. When Moses is addressing the people of God uh, after the Lord has led them through the wilderness for 40 years, and he says this to them, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. David knew that. And he knew that if the Lord was able to provide for the needs of the whole nation of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness, he knew that the Lord would be able to meet his needs. But, of course, David was also confident that God would provide for him because he knew what God is like. He knew the character of God. That's why we read from John chapter 10, where Jesus describes the characteristics of of a good shepherd. What are those characteristics? We'll flip over to John 10 very quickly. A good shepherd cares for his sheep. And in Jesus' case, that is seen most clearly in his willingness to die for the sheep. See what Jesus says in verse 11 of John 10? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The death of Jesus Christ, his willingness to lay down his life for you and for me are the ultimate proof that God cares for you and for me. Jesus shed his own precious blood so that he would be able to call every person who comes to him in faith, mine. And that great act of sacrifice is that of a, a true shepherd. You know, don't you, how Eastern shepherds would place themselves in the in the gap uh, that, that uh, you know, it should have been a gate or, or maybe uh, some form of barrier placed there uh, to keep the sheep safe, to be the, the barrier between uh, whatever was dangerous and the sheep who are within the fold. And that's a picture of what Jesus does for us. He puts himself in the gap. He dies to, to save us, to protect us from the, uh, the destructive power of sin and Satan. He died to set us free, to make us his willing and loving servants. And what's more, his saving work cannot be undone by any power or any authority in the universe. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8? There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 uh, and verse uh, 38, who shall separate us? Or verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? asked the apostle. Shall tribulation, trouble, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then Paul says, I am sure, I am absolutely nailed on certain that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're here this evening and you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and you know then that God sent his only son for you, you can be absolutely sure that he cares deeply for you in every way that you need to be cared for. And the wounds of Jesus, the evidence of his suffering on the cross are all the evidence I need that God truly loves me. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be occasions when I am tempted to doubt God's love and doubt his care. But when that happens, I need to turn and and look to the cross to be reminded of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made so that I could be his, so that I could be secure, not just in time, but throughout all eternity. This shepherd cares for his sheep deeply, Intimately. But there's more. Look, the shepherd knows his sheep. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now, how well does Jesus know each of us this evening as his children? Well, he gives the answer here. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. Now, you know what it's like when you're trying to get through your Bible reading plan? It's kind of depending if you're a competitive individual or not, you might just want to get all those ticks in the boxes and get through it. And it's easy for us to 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 skip over to, to simply read things and not stop and meditate upon what is being said here. Jesus says that God the Father knows, cares for, and loves you just as much as he loves his own Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that what he's saying? That's amazing, isn't it? The same degree of intimacy that that Jesus enjoys with God the Father, uh, God enjoys with you. Truly staggering, mind-blowing. The Father and the Son are one. And Jesus understands you perfectly just as he understands the will and the purpose of God the Father perfectly. In fact, the Bible teaches that the Lord knew each of us even before we were born. Psalm 139, verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unframed or unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Jesus knows you and he understands you at the deepest and most profound level. He knows your past, with all its failures and setbacks and skeletons in the cupboard. He knows the hard and dark times that you've endured to this point, the pain and anguish that you've been through as an individual or even as a church family. He knows the hurts and the disappointments that you've faced. And he knows each of you, each of us, uh, at this very moment. So that unspoken burden that you carry, that you dare not mention to anyone else, those longings, those yearnings of your heart, those unfulfilled expectations, those anxious thoughts that are tumbling over and over in your mind, he knows it all. And he knows the plans that he has for you in the future a glorious future, a hope-filled future. He knows you intimately. Before his gaze, your entire life is an open book, and he loves you to the degree that he sent his own son to purchase your redemption and make you his child. You see the shepherd? Now, you see, if God knew me like this, uh, 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 and didn't care for me, and didn't demonstrate his love for me. It would be frightening. It would be absolutely intimidating. But you see, when perfect understanding and perfect love come together, we can be confident of this. Wherever the Lord se- or whatever the Lord sends us, will meet our needs. Whatever we need, whenever we need it, He will provide, and we can trust Him. Completely. That's the first thing. Provision. Second thing, I couldn't get four Ps. We've got three Ps and one R. The second thing is restoration. You'll remember that one though, won't you? Restoration. If the Lord is my shepherd, he will restore me when I fall. The Lord is my shepherd, he will restore me when I fall. You see, this psalm is particularly beautiful because. It presents the darkness to us in order to magnify the beauty of the light. Notice with me, the the psalm is full of shadows. Verse 4, David tells us he walks through a valley of dark and deep shadows. And later in the psalm, he refers in verse 5 to the shadow that is cast over his life by his enemies. If you like, they overshadow everything that he does. But there's also a shadow behind these simple words. Verse three, he restores my soul. Now David was acutely aware of God's grace to him. As you know other Psalms, the penitential Psalms speak more directly of his sins and feelings but here in this Psalm he simply alludes to his troubles. But this wonderful phrase, he restores my soul, could be written over Psalm 51, couldn't it? Or Psalm 32. In fact, the word restore here is one of the Old Testament words for repent. And David experienced the Lord leading him into quiet pastures and beside still waters in order to refresh and restore him. Think about this. The devil often tries to stifle our work and our witness for the Lord by invoking the memories of our past failings, of past sin and shame. We find that incidents long forgotten return to our minds, and we become distracted and unsettled, and peace and joy and praise and and witness are all paralysed. And at times like that, David, by faith, reminded himself of this. The Lord restores my soul. He bathes me in forgiveness. He refreshes me with the assurance of his grace. So at those times when we experience that kind of spiritual darkness, and all of us do from time to time, we need to look to the shepherd and follow his lead, and he will restore us again. Notice that David's restoration doesn't set him back to square one. The grace of God is real, it's free, and it never leaves us the way it finds us. Notice verse 3, restoration leads to a new direction. David says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See that we are restored so that we can follow the lead of the shepherd. See this wonderful balance, God's grace in restoring us together with God's guidance and God's direction as we come to him and know his forgiveness and grace. Now, why is that so wonderful? Because sin always brings chaos, always brings disintegration to our lives. In one sense, it causes everything to slip eventually. So restoration is more than just forgiveness. It is is transformation because the Lord restores us in order to change us into the likeness of his own dear son. So restoration, third P, and we're moving more quickly now, protection. If the Lord is my shepherd, he will surprise me with his grace. What does David mean in verse five? When he changes the analogy and he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. So from shepherd sheep language, he moves to hosts and guests. Well, Jesus is our host, and, and I think the imagery is, is intended to be understood in this way. Jesus is our host, and we, as his people, are called to gather around him as his guests, in much the same way that the sheep gather around a shepherd when danger comes. I think that's the connection here. David knows and understands that when his enemies are ranged against him, he's gathered in with all of God's children as a means of protection. You know, sometimes we're like the disciples in the storm on the Lake of Galilee, aren't we? We find ourselves crying out, Lord, don't you care? Don't you realize what's happening to me? And like them, we need to learn always to trust him because he's always present as our host always providing and always protecting. Which leads me to the fourth and the final thing, presence, not presents, presence. If the Lord is my shepherd, he will be with me now and forever. So the presence of Jesus with me in the deepest, darkest valley guarantees his provision guarantees his gracious restoration, guarantees his protection. It also guarantees that he always will be with me. So if you like David, David's reasoning is very simple. If the Lord was with me in the valley, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the connection. The Lord is always with me. If you like, having taken us into his flock, the Lord will never put us out of his flock. And never means never. So you see, David knew that the Lord would be with him in every circumstance of life. And while you and I aim for a heavenly reward, we also enjoy such blessings here and now. His goodness and mercy follow us throughout our lives. And when the day comes... For us to dwell in glory with him, we'll simply enjoy more of God's blessing than we've experienced or even imagined in this life. Remember Wesley, great promises, yes, the Bible is full of them, but the best of all, Jesus is with us and he's never going to fail us and never going to forsake us. So we press on with him as our good shepherd protecting us, guiding us, leading us on till the day that we stand together with all God's people in his presence, rejoicing and singing. Let's pray together.